So we're going to dig into Matthew chapter 6. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew 6 now. And uh, we will begin really kind of learning a little bit of the foundation here that we see from Matthew chapter 6 for really what the Dingledines have felt called to. I'm sure this passage was one of many that they wrestled with in considering how to live out their faith in God. So when I first transitioned from teaching to pastoring, it wasn't very long before I was asked to go back into the classroom with an organization called Junior Achievement. You might be familiar with Junior Achievement, you might not be, but they teach business principles to students kind of as an extra to the curriculum they get. You might be asking yourself, what in the world business principles do first graders need? Because that's the age group I was working with. And we talked about some really basic things like needs and wants, okay? It's just things that they could wrap their minds around and yet are essential and vital foundation for business practices. And so uh, as we did that, as you can imagine, kids didn't really have a clear understanding of what was truly a need and what was truly a want. You got all kinds of interesting ideas about what kids thought they needed when really they were wants. You know, we, we really only have a few basic needs. If we're, if we're really talking about what we need to survive, we need things like food, uh, we need water, of course, we need some kind of protection from the elements, whether that's clothing or shelter. But beyond that, there's not a whole lot we actually need when you really boil things down. But just like I had to straighten out the first graders on what truly is a need and what truly is a want, Jesus is going to straighten us out this morning on what are valid wants for us and what are true needs as well. He's going to kind of help us realize, as he has the whole Sermon on the Mount, that the way we think about things as humans is not the way God sees things and has planned for us. And so Jesus says we have things upside down. We don't have things quite straight. And so he's going to have us asking ourselves, what do we truly need? What do or what should we truly want? And in this first section, in, in, in verses 19 to 24, he's going to ask, have us asking the rhetorical question, what do, what do I want? Or, or maybe, uh, maybe the better question is, what should I want? What should I want? So go ahead and, and look at verse 19 with me. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is unhealthy, sorry, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either who will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The main thing that Jesus is challenging with us here is this desire for earthly things. Should, should we desire earthly things? And, and if so, in what capacity? And he's telling us right off the bat, if we desire, if, if we pursue earthly things, we're off base. Our focus 
is wrong from the start. I think what Jesus is challenging here is the American dream. This idea that we should want bigger and better things, the, the fancy house, the nice car, the fleet of cars perhaps, the faster or cooler car, the vacation home and a warm place, other nice toys. All of these things Jesus is challenging. You know, it doesn't take uh, a child very long to start to recognize that that's what life is about, or at least that's, that's what the perception the world is giving them. Uh, my car is a number of years old, and my kids have uh, re- remarked repeatedly that I need a new car. My car is old. It's, it's got some damage on the body of it. It's not, it's not as shiny as it once was. Uh, it's not as cool as the car they'd like me to replace it with. Uh, they don't just want me to get a new car, of course. They want me to get like a Dodge Challenger or a Ford Mustang. And that, but that's, from an early age, what we start to buy into. We, we start to buy into this idea that we need these things, that it's right to have these things, that we should pursue these things. But Jesus tells us instead, don't go after those things. Instead, store up treasure in heaven. Because you know what's going to happen to those things here on earth? They're going to rust. Those cars are going to rust. They're going to break down. You're going to have to replace them. They're not going to last. And and the ones that do last, you don't really drive all that much. You might drive them to a car show, and then you park them in a garage for months at a time. Now, the contrast is these treasures in heaven. So I think it's easy for us to wrap our minds around treasures on earth, right? We can, we can conceptualize that. Pretty much anything you can touch is a treasure on earth. But what are these treasures in heaven Jesus is talking about? He doesn't really elaborate. He doesn't go into detail. But there are other places in Scripture that point to those. And, and it's, it, it, it's things like uh, crowns that, that we'll have. Now, whether they're symbolic or real crowns, they're still a little fuzzy. But there are other things that were promised as rewards in heaven, like recognition for the things we've done on this earth. Even getting responsibility that others won't have in eternity because of what we have done here on this earth. We're told that we earn rewards by faithfully following and serving Jesus. We're told that we earn rewards by righteous living, by by living a holy life. We're told that we earn rewards for being generous to the poor and helping others in need. We earn treasure in heaven essentially by following Jesus, by doing what Jesus had, has asked us to do, has shown us what he has done and following him and imitating him. But regardless of what types of heavenly treasures there are, Jesus is contrasting the fact that the treasure here on earth is susceptible to rot and decay and theft. Even the most enduring, enduring things on this earth, the things that you expect to last, can be gone in an instant, through fire, through a flood, tornado, or hurricane, whatever it may be. My dad had a stamp collection. We were just actually talking about this this, this weekend, and he had, uh, he'd collected them from when he was young, and I don't know about you, my generation I don't think was really into stamp collecting, but his was, and he had actually a really nice collection But the problem was, when I was seven years old, we had a flood in our basement. The the creek across the street never flooded before. 
flooded drastically. We had seven feet of water in our basement. We saved a few things as the water was coming in. I still remember grabbing some things from my brother's room, walking through ankle-deep water to get it upstairs to, to save what we could. But just like that, that stamp collection, gone forever. Moth and rust will destroy. It'll take it, and it'll be gone in a heartbeat. And there's really nothing we can do to preserve those earthly treasures that we often work so hard to gain. But as we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus isn't just simply concerned with how we spend our money. Because often you, you'll see this pastor and be like, okay, great, the pastor's going to tell me how to spend my money now, right? But that's not what Jesus' point is here. And if you'll stick with me, I think you'll see that Jesus isn't simply concerned with how we spend our money, but more why we spend our money on what we spend our money on. Jesus isn't concerned whether you have a nice house or a nice car, but why you want the nice house and the nice car. He's concerned about our hearts. He's concerned about whether or not we value what is truly valuable, and that's eternity with him. That's his kingdom. And so this portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is not simply focused on money, but on our heart orientation toward Jesus and how our Money habits demonstrate that. And so he, he actually uses two illustrations here to, to make it clear that he's actually talking about our heart, not so much our habits. And so in verses 22 and 23, Jesus explains how our eye is an indicator of our heart health or, or, or our internal health. And I think this is one of those things that gets lost in translation. As I was reading this passage, I was like, okay, he's talking about treasure in heaven, and then he skips down to, the, to, to serving God and money. But what's he talking about? This eye is the lamp of the body. It's like he changes subjects, right? But he's not. He's staying with it. And, and what Jesus is doing here is he, he's using your eye as a metaphor for your desires. He, he's using your eye as a metaphor for your heart's desires. Because the reality is, is when we see something, that's the point at which we recognize and acknowledge whether or not we want that and whether, we not, whether, we, whether or not we desire that. That's why when uh, the Ten Commandments came out, the Tenth Commandment, thou shalt not covet, has this extra information around it that the other, most of the other commandments don't really have anything. Like, you shall not murder, it's pretty straightforward. Shall not steal, pretty straightforward. But then when he gets to covet, what does he say? You shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's ox, or anything that is your neighbor's. Why? Because the things you see every day are your neighbor's things. And so those are the things we're going to be tempted to want and desire and crave and covet. And so Jesus is saying the things you see show what's really in your heart. They show off what you truly desire and what you truly care for. Jesus is saying that our eyes reveal our desires, what our heart is really after. And so it begs the question, what, when you see something, how badly do you desire it? And, and what's the motivation behind that? What gets you up in the morning? What keeps you plugging away at work? Why do you work so hard? What things are you trying to work hard for? The bigger house, the fancy vacation, the newer, shinier, bigger car. Perhaps you're working for the weekend so that you can get that bigger buck mounted on the wall or buy a bigger screen so you can spend more time watching the game on a bigger and bigger screen. Maybe you're a minimalist, 
right? Maybe you're a minimalist and you like have the dream to live in a tiny house and you're just like, I'm just gonna just get rid of all this stuff and that can be admirable and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that but oftentimes what I've seen with people who wanna live a minimalist lifestyle, it's not so that they can be more generous, it's so that they can have more experiences. So they minimize things over here so that they can travel more and they can eat at fancier places and they can buy more overpriced lattes. But I tell you what, they fade even faster than a stamp collection in a flood, right? It's gone, just like that. Jesus is saying that if you desire those things, if that's what your life is about, if that's what your heart orientation is toward, then you're full of darkness. Essentially, you're blind to what really matters. Eternity, eternal treasures, treasures in heaven, God's kingdom, his righteousness. Now, this becomes really clear in Jesus' second example when he says you can't serve God and money. It's not possible. You can only serve God or you can only serve your possessions or the desires you have to get those possessions. You can't do both. They're competing with each other. You will eventually choose one. Essentially, Jesus is asking us, which is it going to be? Me? Me? or your stuff. You must choose what takes priority. Perhaps what Jesus is really asking us here is, what do you want most? What do you truly desire? Do you want the things of the world? Do you want to gain the whole world? Or do you want to store up treasures in heaven for all eternity? Because those are going to last. That's what he's telling us, right? The things on this earth that we're trying to gain, they're going to be gone someday. But the things in heaven are going to be there forever for you to enjoy for all eternity, not just on your own, but with him. It's easy to see Jesus' point. I I think we can all nod along and go, okay, yeah, that's a better investment option, right? Eternity and investing in eternity is a better investment option than the short term. We, We can kind of wrap our minds around that intellectually, but it's much harder to orient our hearts around that and to live that out in reality in our everyday life. And, and so, so now I want to I make sure that we're clear as we, as we wrestle with this, that I'm not saying, and Jesus isn't saying, and, and the Bible actually isn't saying, that wanting something new for Christmas is dooming you to hell. Okay, Wanting nice things is not dooming you to hell. Jesus is not actually advocating here that we all become paupers and sell all we have and and give everything we have to the poor. Although, he does give that as an application point to to the rich young ruler. When the rich young ruler is trying to justify himself and say, hey, I've done everything, Jesus goes, you know what? I don't think that's quite true because you love your stuff. And so he challenges the rich young ruler, you love your stuff, you should probably sell it, give to the poor, and then follow me. So he might be challenging you individually to consider where your heart is and what you need to do. And maybe one of the applications for you is to start being generous and start giving stuff away as a test of whether or not you desire those things more than Jesus. But Jesus is not saying having things is bad in and of itself. In fact, Paul on numerous occasions addresses the rich. And when he does that, he never critiques them simply for being rich. He, he never just blanket tells them, you need to sell all your stuff, give to the poor, and, and just live the pauper's life. Instead, 
Paul warns them to be careful that their wealth doesn't threaten their relationship with Jesus and instead to use their wealth to benefit others. So in 1 Timothy 6, he's got a, 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 I've got a great example of what he tells the rich here. It says, as for the rich in this present age, so he's speaking to the rich in his time, and I can tell you this, if he was speaking to the rich in his time, he's speaking to every one of us because we are far wealthier than the majority of the people who lived at his time and, and any people in history. The fact that we have heat heating our homes in the winter, air cooling our homes in the summer, a stocked fridge most days, transportation to and from wherever we want to go. We are filthy rich. So he's speaking to us here as much as he is the rich in his present age. He says, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. So don't put your hope in riches, put your hope in God. Don't trust your riches, trust in God because he richly provides us with everything to enjoy, okay? So Paul's saying, hey, God wants us to enjoy things on this earth. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the good things that he has given us, but there's a warning, right? Those things can draw us away from recognizing that it's God who gives us those things and not us just working really hard to acquire them. He goes on to say, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So here's the action points for the rich. Do good deeds, share your money with those who need it, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. Sounds a lot like what Jesus was saying in our Matthew 6 passage, right? How do you store up treasure in heaven? You do good works, you care for others, you help them meet their needs, and you store up treasure for your future in heaven so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Friends, what we're experiencing now, Jesus is saying, isn't truly life. True life is life with him for all eternity. This is just the the pregame to get us into the game where we're just enjoying Jesus forever. I think Paul's exhortation here is, is a really good summary of what Jesus is telling us. Don't store up treasure now, For now, store up treasure now for later, for all eternity. Because you can't store up treasure once you're in heaven. You store it up now for when you are in heaven. And so Jesus, just like he's done the last few weeks in our passages, just like you can pray with right motivations or you can pray with wrong motivations, he's saying you can buy things with right motivations or you can buy things with wrong motivations motivations. You you can be rich and live for Jesus, or you can be rich and live for yourself. You can be poor and live for Jesus. You can be poor and live for yourself. Jesus is concerned about our hearts, not whether you're rich, but how do you use your money to help others and show that what you're prioritizing is him and not yourself. So what do you desire? What do you serve or who do you serve? I can't answer that question for you. I can't tell you. I can't look at your life. I could maybe guess, but that's not for me to do. For me to do is to tell you what scripture is saying and have you wrestle with what truly is your desire, what truly is your motivation, what do you want in life, and what are you doing to get it? Jesus wants us to realize that what the want, that, that the wants that are so common in this world are not the kinds of things 
we need to pursue in this life. Jesus is not saying wants are bad. He's actually endorsing wants. Do you get that? He's telling us to seek our own benefit. Seek our own benefit. Not now, but for eternity. He wants us to have wants. He wants us to have desires. He wants us to pursue things for ourselves for eternity because that's the best thing for us. He is the best thing for us. Do you guys realize God is for you? God is for you, not just because Scripture says it, but because he's shown us it through Scripture and in his life and what he has done for us. God is for you, and he wants you to have the best possible thing you can have, and that's himself. He is the best possible thing for you, not just now, but for all eternity. And we know that, and he's done everything that that he can to give us access to himself. The fact that you're sitting in this room and hearing this today is proof, not only that he has done the work ahead of time, but he is also giving you an opportunity to hear it and receive it. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 tells us, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know the grace. That those of you who are believers, he's writing this to believers, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, he had all the glories of heaven, He was in heaven, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, pre-eternal, on the cattle on a thousand hills, created everything, owns everything, needs nothing. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. He gave it all up. He came to earth as a little baby. And if you read through, you recognize that Mary and Joseph weren't very wealthy. Joseph probably passed away at some point in his childhood, his teen years, and And he lived the life probably of a carpenter following his dad's footsteps. And then when he went into ministry, he just kind of walked around and and lived off the generosity of other people. When Jesus died on the cross, he died with the clothes on his back. There, there, There was no inheritance he was leaving to his mom or his siblings. It was just him and the clothes on his back. He was poor and through his physical poverty and his spiritual poverty, giving himself up on the cross, He did that so that we might become rich. He did that so we might experience himself, so that we could have a relationship with him, so that we could be united with him, not just in this life, but more importantly, for all eternity. And so Jesus isn't asking us to do anything he isn't willing to do himself. He he never does. Jesus always does for us what he's calling us to do. He had all the glories of heaven and he gave them all up so that you could experience them for yourself. If Jesus hadn't left heaven, if he hadn't given up the the riches, if he hadn't come to earth, we wouldn't even be having this conversation right now. There would be no heaven for us. There would be no treasures in heaven for us. This life would be all there is. And then we could be like everyone else in the world and say, let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die because this is all that we would have. But this isn't all we have. That might be all they have, and they may choose that for themselves, but hopefully they hear of the opportunity to be reconciled to God and be able to enjoy him forever. Jesus did exactly what he's calling us to do. He used his resources to make you rich by first experiencing forgiveness of sins and then by giving you access to him for all eternity. And now he's asking us to do the same. He's asking us to imitate him in using this life to maximize the sacrifice he made on our behalf for the benefit of others. 
so that you also might benefit because he wants us to have rewards in heaven. He tells us to seek rewards in heaven and to earn rewards in heaven. Essentially, we should be living for Jesus rather than ourselves. We should be living and doing things that will impact eternity rather than just living our best life now. You know, Dave Ramsey says, live like no one else now so that later you can live like no one else. That's a very complex statement. There's a lot that goes into his his, uh, seven steps or or whatever they're called. And there's a lot I agree with what, what Dave says. I'm not trying to bash him here. And I agree on the surface level with his statement. Live like no one else now, so later you can live like no one else. But oftentimes, when, when we hear that, we focus in on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of debt, I'm going to save up so that later I can just acquire treasure on earth. That's how a lot of people take that. That's not what, he, that's not what he's necessarily insinuating because he talks about being generous, he talks about sharing, he talks about these things. But the reality is, is we need to live like no one else now so that later in eternity, we will have great reward. It's not about gaining wealth for us now. You might gain wealth for us now as you live wisely on this earth, and then you can use those treasures to help others and to be generous and ready to share, and you can use the treasures now to store up for yourself treasures in heaven. So we need to live for eternity, not for the things which look like they have a lot of value here, but really won't even outlast you once you've breathed your last. So Jesus is saying, live for the kingdom now because living for the kingdom is all that matters. Living for the kingdom now so that you can live even better in the kingdom for all eternity. So we need to ask ourselves, what do we want? What do we want most in life? Is what we want always changing? Do you want something and then you get it and it satisfies for a little bit and then it breaks or it just, you just get tired of it? And then you move on to the next thing, and then you want something else, and you crave something else, and you have to have something else. Wants are good if it's the right want. That's what Jesus is saying. Wants are good if it's the right want. Do you want Jesus more than anything? Do you want treasure in heaven? Do you desire his kingdom to be established more and more? I'm preaching here because I'm with you. That's, that's a hard question to ask. Is that what I want? That's, I think that's what Jesus is saying. We've got to check ourselves regularly. What are you craving? What are you desiring? What are you pursuing? Because the, the, the challenge is real. We see things all the time. Hey, it's, it's Christmas coming up, right? It's, it's Black Friday week or month. I don't even know what it is anymore, right? It's just Black Friday is now the, this synonym for this time of year. Forget Thanksgiving. Forget when we're supposed to thank God for the good things he's given us. We're just supposed to look and find the best price and all this stuff, most of it, stuff we don't really need. Jesus is making it really clear. Wants are good so long as we want and work for God in eternal things. But Jesus doesn't just stop with our wants. He also addresses our needs, okay? And and so usually when we talk about wants and needs, like I did with those first graders so many years ago, we we talked about, hey, generally needs are good, right? And and then wants sometimes are vilified a little bit. And, And Jesus is saying, hey, wants aren't bad as long as it's the right want. But then 
he also is going to kind of change our perspective on, on what we really need. He's going to say the needs you think you need really aren't needs at all. So let's take a look and see what he means by that. Verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I can tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you of you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Oftentimes, we're anxious about the things in this world. We're not even anxious about food and clothing, right? If we're really honest with ourselves, we're not, we're not necessarily. Now, some, some people really don't know when their next meal is coming. But I would guess that most of us in this room, that's not the case. We don't have to worry about that very often. Maybe prices are rising and we're starting to think, what's going to happen? And, and we can kind of get into that, that future idea. And Jesus kind of squashes that, right? Don't worry about that. Don't worry about tomorrow. You can't, you can't add a day to your life. What are you doing worrying about what's going to happen six months from now? But he's also saying, don't worry about your food. Don't worry about your clothing. But the reality is we don't worry about our food. And, and really, when it comes to clothing, we, we more worry about what other people are going to think about what we're wearing than we actually worry about if we're going to have clothing to wear. The stressors in our life, the worries in our life are often not important. They're just things we work up ourselves because we, we've given us these expectations of treasures on earth and building us our, our, our own little kingdom here, when in reality, Jesus is saying, hey, look, I got two examples for you. These sparrows that you see flying around, I don't know if you've ever given thought to them, but they don't worry about anything. They just fly around looking for food and they find it. God provides it for them. The, the flowers, the, the grass in the field, that they're beautiful, They don't even do anything. All they do is soak up sunlight and soak up water, and they grow. And they're beautiful, and they're gorgeous. They're attired beautifully. Jesus is like, like all these things that have very little significance to God. Now, he, he loves them. They're his creation, but he loves us so much more. Why are we worried? They don't worry. They don't care. They don't need. They have everything they need. And so Jesus is telling us, not to worry about those things, not, to, not to, to stress out about them. Just trust that God has those things. Those needs that you think you need aren't really needs at all. And instead, what you really need is God. What you really need is to trust him. What you really need is to rely on him. What you really need is to pursue your greatest want, if your want is Jesus. 
If you pursue Jesus, if you go all in with Jesus, then guess what? All these other things are going to be provided for you as well. That's what he tells us in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear that verse, circle that verse, write that verse down, do whatever you need to, memorize this verse, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. The secret to not stressing out in life is to not pursue your wants, but to pursue God's wants, to pursue him. You don't have to worry about anything then. That should be our main priority. That must be our first and foremost intention in life is to pursue God's kingdom and his righteousness. Essentially, Jesus is saying, hey, you store up treasure in heaven, And you have your needs cared for on earth by living God's way, not your own way. By pursuing his kingdom and not your own. When Jesus says, seek first, he's not saying, do this first. Like, do this and then go on to other things. He's saying, make this a priority in your life. Prioritize the kingdom in your life first and foremost. Because then in verse 32, he says, the Gentiles seek after things, right? They seek after food. They seek after clothing. They're prioritizing things of the earth. You should prioritize the kingdom of God. Now, you might be asking yourselves, what is the kingdom of God, right? It's kind of this arbitrary term here, right? How do we seek the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God, and how do we seek it? Well, simply put, the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of Jesus, the rule and reign of Jesus. Jesus came to earth. He died on the cross. He rose again. He he conquered death. And now he is building a kingdom of those who place their faith in him, who are his subjects. And he will rule over all those who love him. And he will punish those who hate him. That's kind of a brief summary of the kingdom of God. It's the rule and reign of Jesus. And so we can, we can submit to him and be one of his subjects. That's not something that's real popular in America. We, we kind of ousted the king idea, right? We set up a democracy. But for, 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 since time began, as soon as people started organizing themselves on earth, they started raising up kings to rule over them. And people understand this idea that a king is not a bad concept. They can be tyrants. They can be bad But when God is your king, when Jesus is your king, who gave everything so that you could experience eternity with him, he's a good king. He's a just king. And seeking first the kingdom is orienting our lives and therefore our resources to help the gospel have a greater and greater impact on the world so that more might hear and experience the gospel and therefore enter into the kingdom of God as well. That's really what we're after. That's really what we are about. That's what God's about. And that's what we should be about. He's, he's offering for us to come into his kingdom and, and be, be loyal subjects to him, this benevolent king. And he's asking us to use our time and our talents and our resources and everything we have to bring other people into that wonderful relationship that we have with him. This kingdom is an eternal kingdom with eternal rewards. These aren't rewards you earn later. These are rewards you earn now and receive later. Jesus isn't 
against us seeking things for ourselves. He's actually for us seeking the best thing for ourselves. That's him now and treasures in heaven through seeking him now. I want to go back to the Dingledines because their decision to go to Albania and leave the comforts of America, right? Their life's going to be very different over there. They got a nice house here. You can imagine the life of a dentist. They got uh, a couple vehicles, right? They've got job security. They got all kinds of opportunities for their kids. They got a good life, according to the American dream. But they're going to give all that up, and their, their choice, their decision, is a vivid picture of pursuing what will last. They recognize one that God has specifically called them to go do this task. And it's really what God's calling each and every one of us to do. Not to go to Albania, not even go overseas, but to look at the opportunities we have around us and recognize the gifts and talents we have and see the need around us and figure out how to use our treasures here that we have, that he has given us, to maximize the opportunity we have to tell other people who desperately need to know him about him so they too can receive forgiveness and be a part of that mission to reach everyone, if possible, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, there, there's, there's the, the Roma people, they, they have very few workers currently working among them who know Jesus. They're going to go join that team and be a part of that. And, and so the Roma, their chance of hearing the gospel is really through a, f- a few people that are intentionally trying to reach them. Whereas in America, we've got the gospel everywhere. Right? Like anybody can come into our church on a Sunday morning and hear the gospel. There's churches all over Southeast Iowa, all over the wor- uh, America that are preaching the gospel. The opportunity is there. But the reality is a lot of people aren't seeking to hear the gospel. They're not just going to walk in here and sit down and ask you to share the gospel with them. They don't know they need to hear the gospel. Most people in America who, who don't know Jesus or haven't really heard of Jesus, if they have, they heard about him through, through uh, Hollywood and television shows and Facebook posts. And I've seen some of those movies and I've read some of those posts and I can tell you they're not getting a very accurate picture of who Jesus is. And so, friends, there are a lot of people right here that can be our mission field and should be our mission field, and we can use the the time and the talents and the treasures, our resources, our energy to take the gospel to them, to use our lips to share the gospel with them, to meet the needs so that they might just listen for a little bit to the gospel. Because when you're focused on the kingdom— those things we're prone to worry about, those things we're prone to desire, the things we're prone to crave, they end up seeming like pretty small things. That when, when, you really get a, when you really start to wrestle with and grasp the value of eternal treasures versus the treasures that we're used to experiencing on earth, these things that break, nothing lasts as long as it used to, right? That's, that's the complaint all the time. It's like a washing machine. It lasts a few years now. And in grandma's basement, there's one that's been around since the 50s. Things don't last. And when you start to compare eternity with what we have available today, you start to realize that's a way better deal. That's a way better deal. Jesus wants you to succeed more than you do. Jesus wants you to succeed more than you do. 
And he's got all the resources you need to be successful in this life and in the life to come. And so, friends, again, Christmas is coming. Black Friday's this week. We're going to have a lot of temptations to just acquire more stuff for ourselves. And, and you know what? It's okay. Give gifts to your family. Give gifts to those you love. That's fine. That, again, that's, it's not about whether or not you buy things. It's about your motivation for buying them. So if you want to be a blessing to others and do those things, but I'll tell you what my temptation is this week. It's not to shop for gifts for others. It's to get a really good deal so I can acquire more stuff for my house. That's the temptation I have on this week. I see all these sales and I'm going, ooh, I could get a really good deal. I don't need that. I didn't even know that existed, but Amazon put this ad on my phone and now I want it or I think I want it. Because the reality is, having a big house, it's okay. There were people in the Bible with big houses, and they used them to be a blessing to the church. Churches met in their homes. And, and, and there's, there's rich people I know today with big homes, and they use them when people have a need, and they invite people in who maybe they have their house burned down, and, and, and they say, hey, come stay in my basement. We got extra room, right? It's not wrong to have a big house. What are you doing with it? Maybe it is wrong to have a big house because you're just using it for your own benefit. I know people who have extra vehicles, and when somebody has a need, they say, hey, you know what? It's just sitting here in my parking lot. I've been a recipient of that before. And it's like, hey, absolutely. Why don't you use it? You have a need. Come borrow it. So having three, four, five vehicles, not a sin, unless you're just acquiring them for yourself and your own purposes. You got a vacation home? I know, I know some wealthy people who have a second home or even a third home, but you know what they do? They invite other people. Hey, why don't you, why don't you get away for a weekend? Why don't you just kind of check out, no cost, you know, buy, bring your own food, whatever you want to do, but just kind of go rest and get away and relax. And they use it to be a blessing to other people. Friends, Jesus isn't against wealth. He isn't against having possessions but he is against making them our focus. He is against having them clog our lives with desire for things that aren't going to last. Because often the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth are too much, and they keep people from really giving their lives to Jesus. Paul says this to the church that Timothy's ministering to. It's actually in the same passage that I read earlier about addressing the rich. This comes before it, and he's addressing everyone else in the church who's not rich. He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. You want to be rich? Guess what? There's temptation coming. Into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. There's a very real danger with desiring stuff or desiring to get rich so you can buy stuff. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving, this desire, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That's Jesus' warning too. You can love stuff and think you love Jesus and end up just loving stuff. And Jesus is saying it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Treasures on earth are deadly. You can't serve two masters. They, they don't. It doesn't work out that way. Those, those treasures you're desiring, they don't last. 
They cause you to worry. They cause you to get anxious about tomorrow and and what's coming and whether or not you're going to be able to hold on to the things that you have. But treasure in heaven has no drawbacks. It's there. It's reserved for you. It's waiting for you. There is only gain to be had. Here's a poem we quote often here at Harmony because it just illustrates our need for Jesus and to live for him so well. Only one life, that's all you get, just one, will soon be passed. It's a short one. Only what's done for Christ will last. I think that's a really good summary of what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 6. Friends, our life is short. What we do now matters for all eternity. And the only things that gain us treasure in heaven are the things that we do for Jesus. Everything is on the line. How, here, here's maybe another way of saying it. How we live for Jesus now impacts how we live with Jesus for all eternity. So are we living for the things of this world? Are we living for ourselves? Are we living for our experiences? Or are we living for the king of the world?